want to welcome you today. I am starting a series called One, and it'll be this week, next week, and the following week. And I just want to encourage you to be back next week. We're going to talk about what happens. Today we're talking about the power of, of one mission. Next week we're going to talk about one trip, and we're going to tell you some of the exciting opportunities there are that you're going to have to be a part of to be able to go on an international missions trip with us and with the teams here uh, and, and or to send your children to. Parents, that's a good thing. And uh, we're going to be doing that as well as uh, we're going to be uh, talking just about giving a testimony, a pretty powerful testimony of what happens. Because I think missions is caught, not just taught. And so we're going to talk about that. And then the last weekend, uh, which is the weekend before Thanksgiving, two weeks in this weekend, Michael McNamee, the director of Convoy of Hope Europe, uh, he's been to the church a couple of times. Michael's going to be here to speak. And, and if you've never heard Michael speak, uh, his wife, Burl, says, Michael, if you ever lose your accent, you're going to have to get content. So, um, uh, but he's from, he's from Ireland, uh, Belfast, and uh, he was a part of the international, uh, or uh, the IRA, uh, and uh, the Irish Republic Army. And so he will be here, an incredible testimony of how God saved him and what he did. And he's giving his life basically to the poor and the disenfranchised in Europe. And we support him on a monthly basis. And so uh, it's going to be our one day. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to give one day of your wage uh, to the poor of the world. Jesus says when you give to the poor, you lend to God. Jesus said, James says that pure and undefiled religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans of the world. And so we're going to leverage all that we have that day. And we're asking you to give one day's wage. And we're asking you to bring that offering and to give that offering above and beyond your tithe and your other financial commitments to the, to the work of God that day and to join with us. And so it's going to be an amazing time. So I want you to be there, be here for that. Today I want to talk to you about the power of one mission. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. I tell my daughters all the time, uh, you can do anything you want, but you cannot do everything. And I believe that. I also understand that as we deal with life and we begin, life begins to become more and more and more complicated. I may not be able to do anything I want because I made other choices and decisions, but I can do something. So if you're young here today and you've got your life in front of you, you can do anything you want. You, can, you can't just do everything. And if you're here today and you feel like, man, you've, you've got a mortgage and an SUV and your life feels more like a country music song, hallelujah, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You may not be able to do anything you want, but you can do something. The power of one. 1858, Chicago, Illinois, a Sunday school teacher, has a passion to see young men come to faith in Jesus Christ in a vibrant way. He walks into a shoe storesman, uh, a shoe office, a, a, a shoe showroom in essence, uh, just a retail department, and, and walks into and meets a young man named Dwight. And through that relationship, Edward Kimball began to talk to Dwight, and he began to tell Dwight that Jesus had a plan for him, and that God wanted to do something great with his life, and, and that God wanted to do more than just him to sell shoes, but God had a plan for his life. And Dwight began to listen to this Sunday school teacher, this, th th this guy who was a businessman, during the week and he taught young men on the weekend and Edward Kimball led Dwight L. Moody to the Lord. Dwight L. Moody got so full of the power of, of God in his life that, that, that he began to go into full-time ministry and, and left sales behind. And he began to preach throughout the United States. And that United States revival led him to, to Europe. And, and he began to preach. And while he was preaching there in England, he was preaching a revival. It sparked the passion of, of a small Baptist pastor, F.B. 
Meyer. And F.B. Meyer began to see the power and the passion of this young man, Dwight Moody, from, from, from Chicago. And Meyer said, man, if he can do it, I can do it. And he began to preach with fervency and with power and with passion. You know, sometimes preaching is just about coming and watching somebody burn for God. It's just about sometimes just seeing because it's caught, not just taught. And Meyer began to preach. And he came to the United States and he preached. And he began to preach through a circuit of colleges. And at one of those small colleges, he met a, a young man who gave his life to Christ named J. Wilbur Chapman. And Chapman was so, so convicted by the Holy Spirit through the preaching ministry of F.B. Meyer that he began to also go into full-time ministry and began to, began, it was, began to become connected with the YMCA when it was a missionary movement as it began and began to hold crusades and to reach out to young men, especially that were involved in sports. And he found a baseball player named Billy Sunday who had walked away from a lucrative career of his day and and walked and gave his life to full-time vocational ministry to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Billy Sunday, they said, was a man just full of passion. And and if he couldn't preach it into you, he would beat it into you. And, and, And Sunday began to preach. And along the eastern seaboard of the United States began to go with, with Chapman. They began to hold crusades and revivals, especially targeting young men who were athletes and, and who wanted to see God move in their life. And, and, and as they began to, to see this, there were a group of businessmen from Charlotte, North Carolina that was at one of those events that Wilbur and, and Sunday put on. And they began to say, we want to see this happen in Charlotte. We want to see this happen in Greenboro. We want to see this happen in North Carolina. And so they, they got in contact with a young man named Mordecai Ham. And, and Mordecai Ham came and began to preach a revival. And one of the converts from that revival was a young man named Billy Graham. And on Thursday, November 7th, this week, Billy Graham turned 95. Billy Graham has preached to more people the gospel of Jesus Christ than any person, including Jesus himself, that ever walked the face of the planet. Two Point two billion people, not million, billion. Understand there's only, there's less than 400 million in the United States. 2.2 billion people, Graham, has proclaimed the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You see, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. And you may feel like you can do anything, but you cannot do everything. And Jesus says, look, there's a power in one. You may be one, but you can do something. Thank God for Edward Kimball, who led led D.L. Moody to the Lord, who infused a fire and a passion under F.B. Meyer, who in turn led J. Wilbur Chapman to the Lord, who implored the the, the gifts and the abilities and the calling of of, of, of Billy Sunday, who connected with Mordecai Ham, who led Billy Graham to the Lord. And 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because of a pastor, not because of a preacher, not because of a worldwide ministry, but because of a Sunday school teacher in Chicago, Illinois, who had a passion for this one mission that Jesus declares in Mark's gospel chapter 16. And he says it like this, Jesus said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from their sins and saved unto God. And he who does not believe will be condemned. Go into all the world and preach this gospel to every living creature. That's the one mission that Jesus gave us as Christ followers. 
And after Mark penned those words that Jesus spoke that day, tradition holds that Mark died as a martyr, along with ten other the, uh, nine other the, of the other disciples. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, was the only one who died of a natural death. Not because they didn't try to kill him, they did. They tried to bull him alive, but he would not die. So they exiled him to solitaire on the Isle of Patmos. After Mark writes these words, it was some 50 years later that history tells us that he died in Alexandria as a martyr. Like most of the other disciples that were on the mount that day when Jesus gave this one commission. This one mission. And those other disciples, they took Jesus' word to heart. And they died in places like India and Greece and Persia and Italy and Ethiopia and even as far as where we would know as modern day Britain. By the time the disciples had died, there were Christ followers throughout Rome and beyond. By the 4th century, the Roman Empire was waning its power and coming to an end. Yet people worshipped Jesus all across it. Western civilization began to fall into a deep sleep and so did the church. And after 10 centuries of cultural darkness, there became this new awakening. Although it wasn't a Christian awakening, it was known as the Renaissance. It was a spiritual awakening of sorts. And the Christian faith continued its slumber. And through this time, the Great Commission was preserved through the written testimony of Mark and the other apostles. It was studied by the monks and monasteries throughout Europe and abroad. It was printed by Gutenberg in his new printing press, which was innovative at the time. However, few obeyed it. And it wasn't until 1783 that there was the first organized missions endeavor since the first century. His name was William Carey, a small Baptist British pastor who began to read the Gospels again for himself and in a ministerial gathering began to ask fellow ministers, wasn't it the duty of all Christ followers to do as Jesus had commanded them? Was the Great Commission just for the first century or was it for today? Was the, great, was the Great Commission, the mission of Christ, was it for all Christ followers or just for a select few? And these fellow ministers began to, to theorize and theologize and all kind of eyes. And, and Jesus, they just said, hey, it was for the first century. It was a cessation mentality that it died with the death of the apostles. This appalled Carrie. And he began to pray and began to read. And the more he prayed and the more that he read, the more he realized that this was an imperative for today. So he began to tell his other fellow Baptist brethren, I am going to change this world. I'm going to begin with India and we're going to go throughout. With no funding. Let me rewind that tape for you. With no funding. That means no money. Right? No money, no fun, your loving son. You know what I'm talking about? With no money, no budget, no church, no backing, not even the support of fellow ministers. He set out and began what is known as modern missions. And he went to India and he began to work from India and, 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 and abroad. And the Great Commission continued. Why? Because Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Because Jesus stood on that mountain before he was ascended to the right hand of the Father in the first century and said, this is the one mission, this is the one thing that every Christ follower must do is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's why we're here. I have a business philosophy that says what gets measured gets done. I believe that you inspect what you expect. So as the Great Commission, it's our job as Christ followers to do and fulfill this mission of one. How are we doing? 
Today in the 21st century, with more money, with more modern conveniences, with more technologies to leverage more than ever before, how are we doing? If Jesus came back today, what would be the statistics? Ronnie Floyd, Dr. Floyd wrote a book called Our Last Great Hope. I just read it this week. It was recommended to me and I was studying on this. I want you to hear these numbers. Floyd says that 7 billion people are in the world. We know that. And there's estimated 2.1 billion of those 7 billion people claim to have some type of affiliation with church or with Jesus or some something. If they have to check a box, they're going to check the box Christian, in essence. Out of that, missiologists tell us, according to, to Floyd's book, that 770 million of those are evangelical Christians, which are people basically that have said, I've asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and into my life, be my Lord and be my Savior. That means that 9 out of 10 in our world are lost without Jesus. Now check this out. The world's population right now is growing by 3 new people per second. 3, 6, 9, 12. That's how it's growing per second. That means there's 180 people per minute that are being born into the world in which we live in. Out of the 180, missiologists tell us in, in, in Floyd's book, that only 75 have an adequate gospel witness. That only 75 have an adequate opportunity to actually hear the gospel. And of that 75, 60 of them will reject it, and 50 of them will give their hearts and lives to Jesus. That means every minute there's 105 people. Every minute there's 105, 105, every single minute in our world that will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means in our world in which we live, there'll be 165, 165, every minute that will go into eternity without Jesus. Do you know what that means? Every minute, according to missiologists, there's 165 people that are going to hell. I didn't write the book. I don't get editorial privilege over it just because our world says, oh, all roads lead to God. And, and everybody, if you just are nice, if you just think a nice thought, somewhere in your lifetime, you're going to go to heaven. No, it's not what the book says. The book says that there's only one way to Jesus, to the Father, and that's through Jesus. And whoever calls on his name is saved. Salvation is free. The grace of God is free. So what do we do? That bothers me. That's bothered me all week long. And I've read it and I've reread it and I've gone, did I read that right? Did, 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 did I read it right? I put my glasses on because at 40 I lost my eyesight and, my, and I gained weight. I don't know what the inverse relationship with that is, but that's another story for another day. And no, that's what it says. So what do we do? Well, my philosophy is you go back to the book, go back to the Bible. The Bible is God's infallible, inspired, and an errant word for us. What does it say? I want, I, want you to, I want to give you a verse real quick before we delve into this. James chapter 2, excuse me, James chapter 1, verse 22 and 24 says this. But be doers of the word, speaking the word of God, and not hearers only. Only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, that's what you are today. I know this is responsible. And not a doer. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes away and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. Today, at the end of this message, you're going to have a responsibility. What you do is between you and God. I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. But what I am saying to you is this is not my ideology. This is God's. I didn't come up with this. This is his. 
and I'm going to simply just declare it to you, and what you do with it is your business. But James tells us very quickly, don't just be someone that hears the word, which is what you're doing, but do you have a responsibility to do something about it? The Great Commission is not what we do, but it's who we are. I want you to understand that. This one mission, this Mark 16, 15, is not what we do, but it's who we are. Let's go back to this. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's not what we do. It's who we are. It's not in our doing. It's in our being. It's this incarnational, transcendent presence of God that when Jesus Christ comes into our heart and into our life, he changes us from the inside out, and we live life differently, and we do things differently. He's not an add-on feature to your life. Jesus is not an add-on or an upgrade like heated seats or a heated steering wheel. He, 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 he is a life changer. So it says, first of all, in this one mission, go. We're called to go. And what I love about that is it's, it's this active imperative uh, tense verb, uh, which basically doesn't say how, but just says go. So I would contend with you, unless it's immoral, illegal, or sinful, it's fair game. And at Life Church, short of sinning, we will do anything to reach somebody for Jesus. We will do whatever. And we will let our critics line up like people taking a number at service merchandise. You remember that store? And they can take a number and they can, they can gripe and complain about how we are. But I'm telling you, we will say it, spray it, will it, deal it, spin it, however you need to, that Jesus Christ is the answer, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We are called to go. And so it's our responsibility to either send or be sent when we're talking about missions. We're talking about going into all the world. We can go on a trip, but we can't stay. So here's how we put it at Life Church in our mission statement for missions is we are called to pray, we are called to give, we are called to go. We're called to pray. Before anything else, if you began to pray, just simply began to pray for lost people, simply began to pray for missionaries, simply began to pray for areas of the world that, 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 that are ravaged without Jesus, and you began to pray, that, that's where it begins. Because if you began to pray for something, you began to create a burden for something, and God begins to work through you. So I would encourage you, begin to pray. Every great missions movement, every great thing that's happened on this planet that's lifted high the name of Jesus began in prayer. But prayer is not enough. At some point, you've got to give. Give. What do you mean give, Aaron? I mean give. I'm talking about hard-earned money. I'm talking about cash. I'm talking about dollars and cents. And I understand that when a pastor gets up in a pulpit in America in the 21st century and talks about money, people get funny. And a tenseness fills the room, and people get up and walk out, and people get upset about this or that. And here's what I want you to understand. I'm saying this with all the humility that I have in the world. Please understand this. But if you give zero to the work of God and you get mad and you leave, I have lost zero. I was educated in Arkansas, but that means I don't have a whole lot to lose. Mm, wait a minute. Woo, he's going to get his preach on up in. You know what I'm saying? So I don't mean to be mean. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm just telling you. Tell the truth and shame the devil. My God, somebody call me a taxi. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Some of you are like, dude, man, I just came to this church. Somebody invited me. Are you finna go crazy? No, it's just, I'm having fun with you. I'm yanking your chain. But in America, in the church in America, the average church attender in America, not the lost person, not the person that doesn't agree with you, the average church attender in America gives less than 3% to the work of God or to any charitable organization. Their total combined contribution to the church, 
to Girl Scouts, to United Way, to the YMCA membership, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good, is less than 3%. Well, the Bible says that we start as Christ followers at 10%, and that's tithes because that belongs to God. Then on top of that, we need to be giving offerings because he's blessed us. Because he'll bless the 90 more than he'll bless the 100 if we'll honor him with the first 10%. So there's something wrong with us as American Christ followers. That we hear things and we don't change things. And I have sometimes people say to me, well, let's talk about money for missions. So let's talk about that for a minute. Here's the questions I get. Why not pursue spiritual goals by spiritual means? If this is a spiritual goal, then why doesn't God just supernaturally do this? Well, because Zechariah 4, 6 is what's quoted to me. Not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I think that's a good question. Why doesn't God just get it all miraculously done? Why didn't he just supernaturally do this? Why does he need us? Why do we really need human money when the Almighty has the power to do what he wants? And if God really wants someone to come to faith in him, he'll, he'll take care of it. You want to know the answer? The answer is, is that God chooses to win his lost children through his found ones. It's the parable of the lost coin. It's a parable of the lost sheep. It's a parable of the lost son. That we're to have the compassion of God to go. To go where? In all the world, the highways, the byways, and the hedges, and to compel them to come in. To go to who? To everybody. To do what? To preach, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells us to go. So that means that we give. And the last thing is, is that we go. I encourage you, go on a mission trip. We're going to talk more about that next week. Send your children on mission trips. They're going to come back, I promise you. You may not be thankful that they're coming back, but they will come back. But go. Go. There's nothing like smelling that. There's nothing like seeing that. There's nothing like standing in a line where you are, are pouring out a cup of rice to that child. That's all they're going to eat that day. There's nothing like holding babies in an orphanage that were left in a garbage dump because they were, they, they, because they were HIV positive. And, and, and there's an organization that you support, $24,000 a year, in Kenya and Nairobi that, that rescues kids, babies from dark garbage bump, dumps that are HIV positive, that see them regain life and then give them to families there in Africa, other African families that cannot have children of their own and they adopt them out. That's what you're doing. When you go and you see there and you sit there, then you get mad at me for talking about what I'm talking about. You get upset with me and you leave the church over that. Because all you're going to do is take your Bible and you're going to go to another church and they're not going to preach what I'm going to preach because I'm going to preach the Word of God. And they're going to preach something that's going to be Sunday morning milk toast Christianity. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm telling you the truth. We're called to go. That's why I'm saying it. I didn't write the book. Secondly, he tells us that we are to go where? Into all the world. Jesus says it like this in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's your hometown. Judea, that's kind of your, your state, if you would. Samaria, that's kind of the nation. And to the ends of the earth. We say that Life Church is going around the corner and around the world. This isn't an either or. It's a both and. Around the corner and around the world. See, I'm called to love my neighbor. And I'm also called to love the refugee in Eastern Europe. I'm called to serve my community, but I'm also called to hear and to respond to the needs of the persecuted church in northern Africa. If I take care of God's world, he will take care of my world. But I'm called to go into the world, into all the world, into every nation, into every tribe, into every kindred, into every tongue, and proclaim what? I'm to preach. 
I'm to preach. What does that mean to preach? Does that mean I have to have like a pulpit? I don't even have a pulpit. I got like a little bistro table right here. I, 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 a pulpit? Do I need to wear a tie? No, I don't wear a tie. I think I do a pretty good job because I have a fat neck. That's it. People go, why are you wearing a jacket? You should put yourself on television, man. My, my muffin top right here. and all, I mean, Spanx can only do so much, right? You know, I'm just saying. So I just got to gotta work with what God gave me. It's good right here, but it loses a little bit somewhere right here. I'm just saying. So no, you don't have to get a, a television ministry. You don't have to start a blog. You don't have to stand on a plat. To preach means to declare what? It just means to declare. That's what we've lost in this nation. We don't stand for anything. We don't declare anything because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody or we're going to make somebody mad or we're going to upset someone. Can I just help you? You're going to make people mad in life. And not everybody's going to like you. And there are going to be some people that are going to take their ball and go home. You should have learned that in the third grade on the playground. Everything you need to know in life you learned in the third grade. I'm just telling you. It's very simple. That's not the question. The question is where do you stand I understand appropriate amounts of light. I understand that I'm not asking you to go to your church, I mean to go to your workplace and stand at the at the break room and stand on the table and begin to preach and tell people they're going to hell. I'm not asking you to put out stand at the at the supermarket or at the gas station or at the at the airport. I had somebody that came in the airport and, and they were telling me I'm going to hell. I went, Really? Wow, okay. And so I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just simply saying, but but we have to stand. We have to declare that I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins and rose again, just like the Bible says. I am a follower of Jesus. We said at Life Church, it's a, how we do this. We invest and we invite. We invest in people personally. We invest in people organizationally or corporately. What does that mean? I just, I'm just going to love you. I'm just simply going to love you. Without strings attached. Look, people know if you're, if, look, they know if you're playing the God card in the back pocket. They know that if you're trying to, you're trying to be nice to them so that you'll come to their church. Or, hey, I'll go to your church, you go to my church. It's not that kind of a deal. It's just loving people where they are. It's just simply loving people. Whether they ever accept Jesus or not. Whether they ever accept the message or not. Whether they ever believe what you believe or not. That doesn't matter. That's beside the point. It's just, it's just loving people. It's just being a good neighbor. It's just being kind. It's just being compassionate. It's just being aware of people that are around you. And then at the opportune time, the Bible says, unless the Holy Spirit draws us, nobody comes to repentance. At the opportune time, then you begin to invite them to an event, to a relationship with Jesus, whatever it may be. That's what we do in our world. I'm asking you to invest prayer. I'm asking you to invest time and trips or a second Saturday. I'm asking you to invest money. So that we can invite people far away from Christ to find a relationship with him. And what do we preach? The gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus. Jesus. I'm just telling you. It's simple, folks. Billy Graham has it right. Just preach Christ and Him crucified. Why is it that we as a church have to always look for something deep, quote-unquote, spiritual, quote-unquote? Basically, it's mind-numbing, confusing theology. Then we walk out and I don't really understand that, but that was He did, and that was really deep. No, the gospel is simple. 
It's that God so loves you and me that he gave extravagantly with incredible generosity his one and only son. So why? So that you and I could have life forever with him. I never get tired of preaching that. I never get tired of saying that. It it never bothers me when people leave a church because you're not deep enough, because you're preaching that Jesus saves and Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth in life. And if you're kicking tires on this church going, I don't know if I want to be here or not, I'm just telling you, I will preach Jesus six ways to Sunday. I will say it, spray it, will it, deal it, shout it. I will, in every way I can, leverage it. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except except through Jesus Christ, the Son. And that he is who we're proclaiming. He's what it's all about. Can I just tell you, last night I'm preaching. 4.30 service, I'm preaching. Hundreds of people here on the Germantown campus. And I go off on this point. And listen, I go off on a lot of things. So, I mean, you just have to understand. And I'm thinking to myself afterwards, I have to cut that. Because this is, I get passionate about this. My wife said, were you mad last night? I said, no, I just, this is so grips me. This is what I leverage my life for. Because you, you look mad. You just need, let me smile. I'm not mad. I'm just focused. Yesterday was one of those days that I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I was ready to preach. I had to catch a 6 o'clock flight out of Missouri because I, I serve on a board for Convoy of Hope and, and was in Atlanta for two hours. I was home by 11. And, and I just, it's just one of those days that from 3 o'clock, I mean, I was ready for you to be here. And so I'm going and I'm just, I'm just going through it. And I just start going off on this point. And I'm thinking to myself, I need to cut that out. And that, that kind of, but not cut Jesus out, but just I need to shorten this down a little bit. And as I'm leaving, I'm told what happened during that portion of my message yesterday. A lady with two kids hurting is at Speedway at the gas station across the parking lot. It's another reason why God has us here right in the center of this town. And she sees and lights Life Church. And she's hurting, and she goes, I need, I'm so far away from God, I just want to go check this out. The lights are on, and I want to see what's going on. And so she drives her car and her two small kids across the parking lot to come in and to see. And one of the children go into Life Kids and get checked in. The other one didn't want to go. So she sat in the foyer with her child. And as I began, she came in, and about the time she sat down, again, the Holy Spirit is so stinking cool, it's not even funny. As I began to preach on Jesus is the answer, whatever you're going to find, he's the answer, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, she begins to cry. She begins to break down. And one of our staff members, one of our female staff members, walk over to her and just said, can I help you? And she said, I'm so far away from Jesus. And what that man is talking about is what I need. And in the foyer, not even in the church service, not even coming in, she gives a heart and life to Jesus Christ. That, that's what I'm saying is, do, do you understand? Amen. Amen. Jesus is the answer. He's it. We don't have to spot, polish it. We don't have to enhance it. We don't, hey, and we don't have to defend Jesus. He, he's got this. He died on the cross and rose again. I think he can handle some critics. Right? You understand? I think he can handle some dissenters. I think he can handle some political incorrectness. <laughs> and the Bible says to go to everyone. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Everyone. Around the corner, around the world. Sometimes we like reaching minorities around the world, but we don't want to reach them here. I grew up in Arkansas. And you people in the upper Midwest think we in the South are just a bunch of Southern 
racist, intolerant bigots. And there's some things that people in my neck of the woods where I'm from, unfortunately, don't help that. But I'm here to tell you, Milwaukee is one of the racist, segregated cities in America. We don't like to admit it. But you go to the suburbs and you find where we live, incredible wealth. You go to the city of Milwaukee, it's the fourth poorest city in America. That's how they view us. We're right up there just behind Detroit. I like black people. I like Asian people. I'm all right with Hispanic people. But yet what we do is we just build bypasses and highway systems so that we avoid it. Because we don't want to see it. We don't want to smell it. We don't want to deal with it. And we think because, well, man, we're not like Mississippi. We're okay. I'm telling you, God called us into every man's world. We, we, southeastern Wisconsin, have a responsibility to the city of Milwaukee. We, white evangelical churchgoer, have a responsibility to hurting minorities in our city. We, white Republican church voters, have a responsibility, not just to our party or not just to our affiliation, but we have a responsibility to every single person, red, yellow, black, White, they are all precious in his sight. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as long as we avoid them, as long as we act like it doesn't exist, as long as we don't talk about it, we think we're okay, and we insulate ourselves. And, and, and I'm just saying, we have a responsibility, not just in our city, but in our state, not just in our state, but in our nation, not just in our nation, but around the world. That's the mission that Jesus gave us. And why is this so big? Why is this so important? Because ultimately, as a Christ follower, you and I will give an account for what we did with this mission. What gets inspected, what, what gets measured, gets done. Jesus will inspect what he has expected of us. Let me tell you like this. The book of Revelation says that when this world is over, there will be two judgments. One judgment will be the judgment of Christ where he will judge those who did not accept his son Jesus Christ. And we know that the outcome of that is they're not going to heaven, they will go to hell. But you and I, Sunday morning Christians, said the sinner's prayer, love Jesus, we'll, we'll stand in, in a judgment seat too as well. And God won't judge us whether we're going to heaven or hell. God will judge us for this. What we did with the Great Commission... What we did with Jesus, what we did with our world, and I'm not speaking environmentally, what we did with this one mission. And he's going to say, Aaron, I gave you this talent. I gave you these resources. I gave you this favor and these open doors. What have you done with it? And the Bible says, on that day, I will bring it before him. And it will be tested by fire, a holy fire, where the wood and the hay and the stubble, all the things that I did that looked good to man but that God knew my heart wasn't right will all be burned away. And the only thing that will be left will be that which was pure, 
that which was unadulterated, that, that which was holy unto God, that which I did because God asked me to do, and I did it as unto him, and I did it to follow him. This isn't about salvation. This isn't about getting to heaven. Okay, I'm already in heaven. Salvation, got it, good, I'm saved, I'm not going to hell. But I will be judged based on what I did. And here's the words that we all want to hear. Matthew 25, 21. And the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. This isn't fear, it's just fact. I'm going to give an account for my life. I'm, I'm going to give an account for that. And, and I'm going to stand. And so are you. That's why I'm telling you. I, I'm, I'm telling you this not because I'm mad, because I'm not. I'm telling you this not because you're horrible, because you're not. You're a great church. You're generous people. You love people. I, I'm not, I know I'm preaching a bit to the choir today. But what I'm saying is, is I want you to understand, there is a consequence. There is a, an account that we will give. We've been given this mandate. If you're not a Christ follower, peace out, Girl Scout, you're off the hook. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given a mandate. I've been given a mandate. This one mission to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. And if I can't go into the world, I'm responsible to send someone. But unto my world, I'm responsible for it. So what would happen if we really committed to this one commission? What would happen if we really committed to this one mission? What would happen if we really began to pray for the lost of our world? Really began to earnestly pray? What would happen if we committed to go on a mission trip in the next 12 months? What would happen if we committed to go to Second Saturday, maybe took our family along with us? What would happen if we began to regularly share Jesus? Just one person a week. Do you think God would answer this prayer? Oh, God. I want to fulfill the Great Commission, not just in the world, but here. And I ask that you would allow me one person every week, open the door, Holy Spirit, because unless you draw them, they don't come to repentance, that you would allow me one person each week that I could tell them about Jesus. Do you think Jesus would answer that prayer? Yeah, I think so. Hello, this is an IQ test, right? What would happen if we began to pray, God, I'd like to personally lead one person to Jesus in the next 12 months? Do you think he'd answer that prayer? Yes. Yes. Why? Because we're praying the will of God. But how many times do we pray that? What would happen if we prayed that? Now, I'm really going to go out here. Are you ready? Just buckle it up. You need like a full harness on this one, okay? And then I'm done. What would happen if your biggest monthly financial obligation, financial, money, check, Cha-ching, right? Swipe. You understand what I'm talking about? Hard on cash. Which of the Great Commission? Silence. Because talk is cheap, baby. Some of you, your house is paid for. What if your house, you had to get a 30-year mortgage on it all over again? What if you took that 2000 or 3000 or 1500 or 1000 Whatever, 5000 I don't know how much your house costs. A month. And you gave it to missions. Not tithe, that belongs to God, but to missions. What if you prayed, oh God, I can't do that today, but here's what I want. I dream of a day that I could give XYZ to missions. What would that look like? I just want you to think about that. What would it look like? Did you know that there are over 7 billion people 
on our earth right now. Almost three billion of those people are unreached, and unreached meaning they have never heard the gospel. They have no one around them to be able to hear the gospel. When we hear a stat like that as a church, we have to realize that we can do something. You know, I've heard someone once say that how do you eat an entire elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. You know, Life Church, we can truly reach this world one step at a time by supporting one missionary at a time, by going on one trip at a time, by taking one day at a time and doing all that we can do to reach people around the corner and around the world. as a church begin to hear and see that there are almost three billion people on this earth that haven't heard the gospel, we immediately want to do something about that. In Life Church, that's why we ask you to pray, give, and go. If we can do all of those things together, we can reach this world one person at a time. Church, you've been able to make a tremendous impact around the corner. You know, a couple of years back, we started something called Second Saturday. It's where literally every second Saturday of the month, we pick a different nonprofit in our community and we go and we serve them. Just this past year alone, we've had 738 people come out to serve their local community. With those 738 of you that have served, that's been 1,900 in 64 hours that you've served. And you know what's remarkable about that is every single hour counts for a life that has been impacted locally in our community. Life Church, you've not only made a difference around the corner, but you've made a difference around the world. You know, we've taken 75 people this past year on missions trips, whether domestic or international. But that's been over 10,800 hours that have been served. You know, you've sacrificed your time, talent, and treasure to go on one of these missions trips. And you know, we always say on the trips that, that we're gonna impact somewhere, but it always happens where we're impacted way more than the people we were trying to impact. 10,800 hours affected communities that needed the love of Christ. It affected children that haven't had any food to eat that day. It affected parents that are trying to find jobs, trying to find out how they're going to eat their next meal. Most importantly, it affected people that don't have a relationship with Christ. By you taking those missions trips, by you going around the world, you've truly made a difference. Many times we think that just, just one person, just one of us, we can't make a difference. But by coming together, over 10,000 hours have been served all over this world for Jesus. This past year, Life Church, you were able to support 31 missionaries that are out on the mission field. We were also able to support 12 different organizations. You know, all of us are able to go on a trip, but not all of us are able to stay. 
And that's why we partner with these missionaries and organizations that are boots on the ground in these different countries that are working amongst the unreached and working amongst people groups that are able to reach this world. You know, we've talked about many different stats and many different things that have taken place. And you may be wondering, where do I fit in the mix of all of this? I just want to let you know that the only way that we as a church are going to be able to change this world and reach this world for Jesus is for each one of us, each one of you praying, giving, and going. And when we do that together, I promise you that this one church can change the world. opportunity to be able to live your word. We may be one, but we are someone. We not, may not be able to do everything, but we can do something. And I thank you, Lord, for these people, for your church that have sacrificially above and beyond building commitments to help the facilities here, above and beyond tithe, that this year have given almost $600,000 to missions. These people sitting in this room today have impacted 1.7 million people around the world. But yet as we have sat here, there have been thousands of babies that have taken their first breath. Thousands of babies that have cried their first cry. You said, Jesus, that you are the life. You said that the local church is what would be your bride and that we would be the hope of this world. And so I just pray, help us. In these last days, not to let our light grow dim or our passion to wane or our indulgences to get in the way. It may mean that we have to downsize. It may mean that we have to give. It may mean that we have to sacrifice. It may mean, mean that we have to walk away from some things. It may not. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you speak to our heart today and these next couple of weeks. Let us hear the cries of the lost. Let us not be satisfied with what we've done, but God, let us dream about what we can do. Yes, we may be one church, but we are one. We may be one person, but we are one. And we may not be able to do everything, Lord, but we can do something. And I pray, let that something, Lord, be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.